Maximize Your Influence is your podcast for the latest persuasion, sales, and negotiation techniques. Our mission is to help you influence on command, anyone, anytime, anywhere. Your host is the author of Persuasion IQ, Laws of Charisma, and the best-selling book, Maximum Influence. Now, your host, Kurt Mortensen. Welcome back, you Maximizers and Maximize Your Influence Podcast 239. Kurt Mortensen here as we do our final installment. I think we've been doing it forever on trust, but you asked for a deep dive. We're going on a deep dive, and this will be our final installment of trust that you need. Because without trust, it doesn't matter what technique or skill or tool you have. It's going to be very difficult for it to work if they don't trust you. So I'm currently in Doha. That's in Qatar. Great modern city. Huge skyscrapers around us. A lot of soccer stadiums are getting ready for the World Cup. I'm not sure when, 2020, but I know they kind of rearranged it or whatever they had to do to get it in the wintertime because you don't want to be on this side of the world in the summertime when it reaches 120. This time of the year, we're probably 90 degrees, 90 three degrees during the day, a little cooler at night. It's actually quite nice. And what a lot of people don't realize about Dubai or Abu Dhabi or Doha, it's all surrounded by beach. Who doesn't love the beach? And these places are big, huge melting pots of people all over the world. I probably meet 15, 20, more than that, people from different countries all over the world that are here, that are working, that call us their home. Not to mention that is always the fun food you get over here in the Middle East. I'm pretty adventurous with my food. You get your fair share of lamb, goat, camel, eating camel, tons of seafood, which is awesome. Every now and then you'll get a pigeon. That's a delicacy in Egypt, and I'm off to Egypt here in a few days. But then, of course, you have to have your fair share of intestines and brains and all that fun stuff. But anyway, that's the food update. Having a lot of fun, enjoying the people, doing a seven-day seminar here, all the way from Train the Trainer to charisma, to influence, to millionaire psychology. So hungry group, having a lot of fun, but wanted to make sure we get the podcast out for this week and get ready to go to Egypt. And I'll update you on Egypt and exactly how that went. So let's kick it off with the geeky article that I've touched on before. This article, of course, is on trust. That's kind of our topic and oxytocin, not oxycotton, the drug, the painkiller. This is oxytocin, brought to us from the perspectives on psychological science that goes deep into human psychology. So what oxytocin is, it's a hormone that play a lot of different roles in the human body. We know in animals and human that this oxytocin is what bonds animals together, especially humans. They call it the trust molecule. This is what bonds a baby to a mother. It's oxytocin. It's a powerful hormone, which is actually kind of a scary thing to think about walking into a car dealership and you're like, yeah, whatever, no trust. And they went with a spray of oxytocin. You're like, oh, yeah, I trust you. Now, I'm sure it probably wouldn't play out like that. But think about interesting that a smell, a hormone can affect our trust. And the way they would get it into them was a mister. They'd breathe it in through their nose, and they'd play these trust games. 
Now, I'm not going to go into the trust games, but you could get screwed. You could uh, build trust. Different things happen during the game. But they found evidence that oxytocin did affect trust in that game. So putting it all together, they found some things like, oh, is there a correlation? But they found other things that do correlate with trust. Just reviewing it all together, they kind of had some mixed findings about oxytocin when it worked, when it predicted human behavior, when it didn't. It's one of those things they're still continuing to study. They do know there's a great effect with oxytocin and how it affects trust, but can they use it? Can they quantify it? It's not a good time to go out and start buying it. I don't even know if you can buy it, but anyway, (laughs) or producing it or whatever it is. But it's something out there. These subconscious triggers feeling trust can come from a smell. We know the smell of a Cinnabon, the cinnamon rolls. You're more likely to donate to a charity. There's more trust there. So there's certain smells that can help or hurt, and oxytocin is one of those that can help your ability to build trust. And now, my new friends, those are new to the podcast. This is our Homer Simpson moment. Homer, go. Don't, don't, don't. Which means it's time for the blunder, the persuasion blunder of the week that I experienced just walking around a mall to see how persuasive people were. And this was at a jewelry store. Famous for their markups, famous for their aggressive techniques. Not true with all, but, you know, just generalizing here. And it's a great place to see from people to go from no trust to spending thousands of dollars. This expert, this confident person who had been in the industry for years, was talking about the C's of a diamond. Now, if you're familiar with diamond, it's like color, cut, clarity, carrot. Let me know if I didn't get that one right, you jewelry people out there. But this other guy was disagreeing that those aren't the four C's. Here's one of these other C's. And he, I can't even remember what it was. But it was this other C. And the person behind the counter got upset, got angry. They got into an argument about which were the four C's. They finally had to look it up online. And the person behind the counter won the argument, showed them that he was right. He was the expert. And they must have argued for five, ten minutes about who was right. And guess what? He showed them. Yep, you're right, won the argument, and the person left the store. That is a blunder, because you can win the argument, and it feels good. We've talked about this, but you'll lose your ability to persuade. It slams the door of persuasion. When you destroy someone's self-esteem, show them that they're wrong, it slams the doors to persuasion and influence. There are other ways to handle this in a way where they can save face, where... You don't have to back them in the corner where you don't have to have the argument. Yeah, it's fun. You can do it. But if you want to maintain that relationship for a lot of people, that's just enough to leave. And you can handle it in a way to where you don't have to do have that argument, win that argument, or back them into a corner. I mean, does it really matter at this point who's correct if you're trying to sell them a diamond ring? Or you say, yeah, I used to think that too, but I did a little research. This is what I found. That way you're not backing into a corner, the way you handle questions and objections. And, and I see this with objections quite a bit, too, the way they handle it. The persuader's all upset. Well, I talked about it five minutes ago. Weren't you listening, dummy? Are you that stupid? I mean, they don't say it out loud, but it comes across in their demeanor and their facial expressions. Uh, oh, no, that question, that dumb question, that dumb objection. You've got to deal with it. You've got to work through it. Because if you try to win the argument, back them in a corner, destroy their self-esteem, whatever it is, you're going to dramatically lose your ability to persuade and influence. Just saying, just put it out there. The person walked out, and I'll put money on, will never set foot in that jewelry store again.
So let's get into that final segment. I've been appreciating your emails on this. Again, it's Kurt, K-U-R-T, at Maximize Your Influence. All the information you need about us, about me, is at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. With the archives, that's at InfluenceUniversity.com of all the podcasts, especially today as we get into congruence. This is your presence. If you want to know more about charisma and presence, that's episode 186. Back in the archives at InfluenceUniversity.com. So to recap, we've talked about character, competence, confidence, credibility, the most important one. And today, the final C, the final segment on trust, putting it to bed, is congruence. Okay, what's congruence? Are you consistent in your message? Did they say something different this time? Did they make something up? Do your words match your actions? Does your vocal tone match your words? I mean, there's a lot of different things here with congruence. It's one of those subconscious trigger things that just feels right. I like them, I don't like them, I trust them, I don't trust them. And it could be in your body language, how close you're standing to them, your gestures. Especially as we talk about deception, when they catch you in a lie, that's part of your congruence. When your emotions don't match your gestures. We see the people pretending to be angry, like, oh, you made me so angry. And then two seconds later, they hit the desk. You're like, wait a minute, that didn't match. And that's what congruence is. And so we have to understand exactly how this works. We pick up on things. In the first episode of Trust, we talked about dentists. I give you an example about dentists. But let me share a study actually done with dentists. And this one blows my mind because they put an ad that says, hey, come endure a painful dental procedure. We'll pay you for it. And people show up. I would never show up in a million years. I mean, that's not my thing. Maybe it's your thing. But anyway... They show up, it's at a dental school, they put everyone in in the chairs and they talk to the dentist and said, okay, first time around, it's a placebo for a painkiller. Don't change your demeanor, your word choice, your gestures, don't do anything different. Just tell them that you're going to numb the area and continue on with the procedure and we're going to gauge the pain, not only by blood pressure, screaming, how they did it, but anyway, they gauged the pain. And with this placebo, there was a lot of pain, a lot of screaming. And they brought the dentist back in and says, okay, you're getting a new set of patients now. This time it's the actual painkiller we're testing. Again, don't change anything. Don't change anything in your demeanor and your instructions. Anything, say don't change anything. And they all said, okay. And they went to their patients. Now, follow me on this. What the dentist did not know, it was a placebo again. But they didn't know. Now, in their mind, they did the same things. They didn't change their gestures. But the human brain's a natural lie detector. It picks up on things. And these patients, even though it was a placebo, felt a lot less pain. Isn't that fascinating? Even during the Korean War, they'd run out of morphine. And when the doctor gave a placebo of morphine, it didn't work. When the nurse gave it, it did work because the doctor knew it was a placebo and the nurse didn't. Just something to think about. You think you're getting away with something. You're probably not. Just because someone's not, oh, are you lying? Oh, I don't believe you. Most people won't call you out. They'll just make a mental note that it just doesn't feel right and move on and never talk to you again or never trust you again or never do business with you again. So you have to be aware of your demeanor, of your presence, of your voice. Are you over the phone? Are you doing Skype? Are you face-to-face? People pick up on things. So let's talk about some of those gestures. Let's talk about deception. It's so you can be more aware of those around you and are they being deceptive? Are they being congruent? I mean, you could be telling the truth, but if you're nervous and uneasy giving a presentation, you might come across as deceptive and not even know it. That's why it's important to record and be aware of these different things. Because your ability to read body language, understand emotional intelligence, is critical as a persuader, as a human being. I mean, one of the key factors of deception is you're looking for what's called clusters. 
That's why in a negotiation you talk about whether or family or children to see what is their default setting. If they can't look at you when they're talking about their family, that is not a sign of deception. But as you get into it and things start to change and there's maybe more eye contact than you had before or even less, maybe they start shifting back in their chair, putting more space between you. Anytime they rub their lips, scratch their face, put their hand over their mouth, that could be a sign. Dilated pupils, picture your voice, giving you too much detail, too little detail. I mean, all these things matter, but you're looking for two or three different things. And deception's interesting here, and you can find more information on detecting deception in the archives. Take a look at that. Part of deception and understanding congruence is really reading nonverbal behavior and getting past the vomit of your presentation to reading the person. That's really understanding congruence. For example, when someone's rejecting you, they're done with you, you'll get really short answers, their eyes will begin to drift, their shoulders are going to be angled, meaning if you're talking to them face-to-face, look at their shoulders. If your shoulders are not squared up, that's an indicator, uh, rejection, done with you. If their feet aren't pointing towards you, uh, rejection, done with you. If you're on the phone and you get the short teenager answers, okay, I went out, who were you with, friends, right, just short, don't care answers, they're looking around the room, or you can tell you've lost their attention, that's rejection. That's time to hang up, shut up, or ask them a question to see if there's any way to salvage that relationship or that prospect. And next to that one, probably the worst thing for persuaders is indifference. you got to know when someone's indifferent. You might see their arms behind their neck. They'll be squirming more. They'll actually look older because their facial muscles hang because they've checked out. There's no emotion in their face. There's nothing left. And if you just continue to persuade, it's not going to help. you got to switch gears. Are they depressed? You know, people are depressed. Their chin tends to drop more than an average person. They tend to look down more. The shoulders tend to slump. They'll talk slower. You just see it in their demeanor. you got to be able to read that and deal with that and understand that. Because if you keep persuading, it's not going to do you any good. Or maybe it's anger. Now the head tilts up, the chin tilts up. You'll see their jaw muscle tense, their eyes widen because they're gathering information. Blood's leaving their brain. They're not thinking clearly. They might be pointing their fingers. You might see their face turn red or pale. All these things you need to take a look at and be able to read. The studies do show that those that can read emotions based on a picture, they stay married longer, have better relationships, make more money. Being able to read these is important. And and most of it is just doing it. You're just so concerned about what to say next. You're not doing it. You're not reading it. That's why you really need to own your presentation. I was just working with the CEO yesterday on persuasive presentation. They give this big presentation to the stockholders, and that's one of the first challenges. You're spending 90% of your time creating your presentation and 10% practicing. It should be 50-50 because when you own your presentation and you don't have to have the bandwidth to think about what to say next, then you can read these nonverbals. You can read your audience. You can deliver a better message, and that's more in persuasive presentation, and that can be found at lawsofpersuasion.com, but being aware, reading it is the biggest factor here. And of course, are they confused? A confused mind says no. And the confused mind's not going to say, I don't get it. I don't understand. I'm dumb. I mean, most won't. Some will. When their mouth tightens, they get a puzzled look, their eyes start to squint, and you just kind of get that haze or that gaze from their eyes that, yeah, I'm not getting this. You have to stop and back up. And understand that they're confused. Or are they interested? 
knowing when it's time to shut up. They're leaning forward, their eyes start to sparkle, their head starts to nod, their voice sounds interested. You've got to be able to read these things. That's part of understanding congruence is reading emotions, reading people. And once you can do that, you can see it in yourself. Because some of your gestures, some of your vocal tones or tonality could be really hurting you. And so as you read it in other people, you can be more aware that maybe you're doing it. Because just because you touch your face, again, doesn't mean you're being deceptive, but they might sense it, they might feel it, and you got to be careful of some of the things you're doing. So record your presentations. Are you congruent? Again, in your message, over multiple encounters. That's why you take good notes to make sure your message is congruent. And, of course, do your words match your actions? That's critical in trust and in congruence. And that's our final segment on trust. Hope you enjoyed it. Let me know at Kurt, K-U-R-T, at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. Remember, we're on YouTube and Spotify. Like us as much as you can. Tell your family, friends, and enemies. And we're also on Twitter. It's a little bit different on Twitter at Influence Mac versus most of the others at Maximize Your Influence. So thanks for being here. Thanks for making the world a better place. Thanks for mastering these skills. Thanks for your feedback. Thanks for letting everybody know about the podcast. Really do appreciate that. And like always, become a power persuader. Learn this power skill and go out and persuade with power.